Be watchful. wonder if you've ever had the experience of driving late at night, maybe on a long road trip. You're beginning to feel quite uh, tired, and there's a semi-truck driving frustratingly slow in front of you. You go to pass this semi, and as you do, it suddenly and unexpectedly swerves into your lane. You slam on your brakes and and just barely uh, avoid what could have been a deadly accident. Now, what happens to your drowsiness in those moments? Just, just a minute ago, you were thinking that you needed to stop at the next exit to get some Starbucks, feeling quite drowsy. And then all of a sudden, a semi swerves into your lane. And where is your drowsiness? It's gone. It's gone. The sense of imminent danger has caused a hormone called adrenaline to be released into your bloodstream. And this adrenaline rush causes the blood, the flow of blood to your muscles and to your brain to increase. As your heart pumps faster and faster, uh, you, you have what is really, because of this adrenaline rush, a, a superhuman strength and alertness. You, you feel as though you've drank 12 shots of espresso. You couldn't possibly sleep. Peter is here warning us of an eminent spiritual danger. We have a great spiritual foe who is seeking our destruction. And he's, he's telling us this for a purpose. He's wanting it to provoke a spiritual alertness. He's wanting spirit-wrought adrenaline to be released into your soul and my soul so that there would be a wakefulness about us. Be sober-minded, he says. Be watchful. Don't be so naive to think that you can put up your feet spiritually and just coast on in your spiritual pilgrimage. Satan, a foe far stronger than you, he is seeking to destroy your faith. Alertness entails not merely an awareness of Satan's presence, but also an understanding of his tactics. How does Satan seek to devour our faith in this valley of humiliation? How does he actually work? Let me suggest a few ways. Specifically, given the context of our passage, a few ways he does this through suffering and through persecution. First, he tempts us to envy the outward prosperity of non-Christians. Look at how good the wicked have it. Imagine how comfortable and easy and prosperous your life would be if you would merely forsake Christ and His cross. Second, he tempts us to think that our suffering is unique, promoting self-pity. No one understands what you're going through. Your, your suffering is, is altogether peculiar. You're all alone. 
Third, he tempts us to make false inferences about God from our suffering. If God really loved you, he wouldn't allow you to undergo this great trial. Either he's powerless to deliver you, or he's apathetic to your plights. Or perhaps he tempts us to make false inferences about ourselves from our suffering. There must be some sin in your life. Maybe you're not actually a child of God after all. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. He deceives us in a thousand different ways to get us to forsake Christ and His cross. And we will be easy prey for His teeth if we do not maintain the watchfulness with which Peter calls us to hear. The presence of this lion-like foe must, it must change the way that you and I think and live. The question is, how, how exactly do we counter the lies of the evil one? And this brings us to our second point, that Satan is overcome by our faith. So Satan, we saw, is seeking to devour our faith, and Satan is overcome by our faith. Peter commands us in verse 9 to resist him. The word literally means to be set in active opposition toward. The devil being a master deceiver, he, he will pretend to, to be our friend. He will appear to have our best in mind. He'll, he'll come to us and say things like, Christ, Christ doesn't want your good. Following Him is a hard and miserable road. Look at, look at the mess you've gotten yourself into believing that gospel. Forsake this religious nonsense and you will find true life and true meaning. The devil promises us a false future under the guise of friendship. But Peter is telling us that we must never befriend the devil we must never accept his lies. We must be continually and actively opposed to him. And Peter tells us how we do this. He says, resist him, verse 9, firm in your faith. The very faith which the devil is seeking to overthrow is the means by which he is overcome. We see this in the life of Jesus. Remember we, we said at the beginning that Peter throughout this letter is, is setting forth Jesus as our example. He's surely more than our example as the second Adam. But he's not less than our example. And we see Jesus in, in the Gospels being tempted 40 days and 40 nights in, in the wilderness. And how was it that he triumphed over Satan's temptations? He did so by wielding the Word of God in faith. And so too must we. When He tempts us with the prosperity of the wicked, we must do as Asaph did in Psalm 73. We must remember their end. Their temporal pleasure leads to eternal destruction. We must say with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside thee. 
when he tempts us to think that we are all alone in our suffering. We must turn outward, as Peter encourages us to in verse 9 of our text, turn outward to the church universal, saying, I know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by my brotherhood throughout the world. I'm not alone. There's others who understand my predicaments. When he tempts us with lies about God's goodness and God's love, we ought to wield God's word and say, for I am sure, I am sure, certain, that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. When he tempts us with lies about ourselves, we should declare with the apostle, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this weak, dying, mortal, persecuted body, I live by faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We need to wield God's Word in faith. With a faith that is firm, that is resolute, that is determined. We should say with the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now it's easy to say those words, friends, when everything is well. But if you're anything like me, you've had times where uh, you've wondered whether a certain trial would be so great Uh, that it would lead you to actually turn back. Perhaps you look at the way that the culture is currently going and you think, give it 10, 15 years, and and we're going to be experiencing intense persecution for our faith if things continue to go the direction that they're going. And you think, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if my faith will sustain through such intense trials. On the eve of Jesus' death, Peter, the very one who wrote this letter, he declared his readiness to die with Jesus. Never had a man been more resolutely determined to follow Christ. But our Savior in Luke 22, verse 31, he, he says these most troubling words to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. The imagery here is graphic. In in the first century, wheat would be put into a sieve and it would be violently shaken to separate the the wheat from the chaff. Jesus is, is warning Peter here that violent trials are going to come upon him. Trials brought about by the devil. Trials that are intended to devour his faith. And they certainly would have were it not for that wonderful, adversative, but. Verse 32, but, Jesus says, I have prayed for you. 
I've prayed for you. And what did Jesus pray? I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In the face of the cross, Peter's faith would falter. He would deny his Lord three times, giving heed to the devil's empty promises of comfort and security. But though his faith would falter, it would not fail. Christ had prayed for him. His Lord would restore him and embolden him to stand against the devil and against a Christ-hating world all by faith. Satan seeks to devour us. But so long as Christ is interceding for us, he cannot win. Our adversary is great. He is great. Let's admit it. He's far more powerful than we are. Our adversary is great, but our advocate is greater. He's greater. Because of Christ's unceasing intercession and the work of His Spirit in us, we are more than conquerors, even in the face of tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. He will see to it that our often faltering faith does not fail. And this leads us to our third point. Satan is no match for God. Peter will not allow us here to have an unhealthy preoccupation with Satan. He wants us to be aware of the devil so that we can stand in resolute opposition to him. But he wants to take great care to make sure that we're not obsessed with or fearful of Satan. To go back to our Lewis quote, God would have us be neither materialists rejecting Satan, nor magicians obsessing over Satan. And so having set forth the sobering reality of the devil, he turns our attention to God. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's the God of all grace who is the object of faith. A firm faith is aware of Satan, but is not fixated upon Satan. Rather, it's fixated upon God Himself, the God who is infinite in grace, the God who delights in bestowing unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness and blessing upon hell-worthy sinners like you and I through Jesus Christ. This is the God that Peter is pointing us to. This is the God that faith eyes. And it's only faith that eyes the God of all grace that can overcome the devil. This God is the one, Peter says, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. This is a favorite theme for, for Peter. 
He, he is just bursting at the seams with glory. He can hardly hold it in. And so if you go back to the very beginning of the letter, you, you see he just he can't help himself. And so, so he begins by, by telling us in verse 3 of chapter 1 that through our effectual calling, we've been born again to a living hope. A living hope. Hope is a confident expectation of future blessing based upon God's promise. He's saying we've been born again unto a living hope. He goes on to explain in verse 4 what that hope is. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Being united to Christ, we have the prospect of eternal glory with God. Though we suffer for a little while, Peter says, here, though Satan tempt us to despair for our short earthly life, we will very soon, friends, very soon enter into an unending state of blessedness in God's presence. Just as Christ's humiliation led to His exaltation, so too will ours. On that day, Peter says, verse 10, He will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter combines these four incredible verbs to underscore the fact that our adversary will not win the day. Satan seeks to destroy us, but God will restore us. Satan seeks to weaken us, but God will strengthen us. Satan, Satan seeks to erode our faith, but God will establish us. And all of this He will do by His free and infinite grace. This is what makes our faith firm. Our faith is not in the fact that we just natively have the resolve necessary to oppose Satan. Our faith is, is not in our own native wisdom to thwart his deceit. Our faith is in the unchanging purpose of the God of all grace. He will not forsake his people. If you are in Christ this morning, he will finish the good work that he has begun in you. Not a single child of His will be devoured by the evil one. This is where our faith must rest as we undergo the temptations of this present time. Our gracious God will hold us fast. And it's just because God preserves us that we are then enabled to persevere. The only rightful response to such amazing grace is worship. It's as if Peter here can't help himself. As the Spirit carries him along to write of God's triumphant grace, he, he breaks forth into doxology, into worship, into praise. Verse 11, To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We ought not to cower before Satan or before world powers set against the church. Our God, 
The God of all grace. The God who has called us to His eternal glory in Christ. This God possesses eternal dominion. Nothing is outside of His control. None, not even Satan himself, can thwart God's purposes. It's this worshipful vision of God in His grace and in His glory that characterizes a steadfast faith. In the midst of suffering and persecution, the church exclaims to the God of all grace and glory, be eternal power. Peter fixes his amen to this praise. So be it, he says. That's what amen means. So be it. It's an emphatic endorsement. Faith enables us in the fires of affliction to put our amen on the truth of God's eternal grace, power, and glory. Can that be said of you today? In the valley of the shadow of death, can you say amen from the heart to this Godward praise? When the devil rages against you, will you worship the God who reigns over all? Friends, there is a day coming soon when we will no longer suffer, when we will no longer have a great spiritual foe to resist. Christ suffered in His state of humiliation for a short time only to enter into an unending state of exaltation. And so too will we. Our sufferings are but for a little while, but the glory to come is eternal. What courage this should give us. What courage this should steal our souls in our fight against Satan. So let us resist the devil. Let us resist him with a firm conviction that the God of all grace, the God of all dominion, will bring to pass that which he has promised. Amen. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God, God infinite in grace, the God whose dominion is over all things. Lord, we worship You as the One whose purposes cannot be and will not be thwarted. You are great, O oh God, and greatly to be praised. We praise You, Lord, for the riches of Your grace that You have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We praise You, Lord, that though our foe be strong, that You are stronger, and that Your grace is sufficient to keep us to the end and to get us to that everlasting rest that is awaiting us. We thank You that our Savior, Lord, has gone before us and has made the way for us to be with You forever. God, we pray now that by Your Word and by Your Spirit You would strengthen our weak faith. That You would keep our faith, O God, from faltering. That You would keep our faith from failing. That You would help us, Lord, to stand firm, to be sober-minded, to resist the devil, and to eye You in Your grace 
and in Your glory by faith. Lord, please continue with us in our worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I invite you to stand as we close by singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.